We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello, you're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast bringing you big science, technology, engineering and maths ideas from the little island of Tasmania. We're proudly supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium youth station. So go to edgeradio.org.au for more information about the good things they're up to at the moment. My name is Dr. Neve Chapman and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Sarah Lighton. So we have some excellent engineering content in store for you today, as always with Sarah. Now, I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Palawan Pakna people, as we record on Lutruwita. I also acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on where you are listening. On behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to elders past and present. So, listeners, we're living in a new COVID era. Um, and as such, we're recording outside so that we can be safely socially distanced and having lots of really good airflow. Um, so you may hear some background noise, birds singing, trees rustling, that kind of thing. We hope it adds a nice little flair, but do bear with us if there's a little bit of background noise. So Sarah, can you tell me a little bit more about our guest today? So today we're going to be talking about mechanical engineering and some of the diverse opportunities that mechanical engineering provides with our guest, Dr. Sabrina Sequira. Sabrina works with Lightning Protection International and also does some teaching with us at the School of Engineering at UTAS. She was the winner of the 2021 Exceptional Women in Tasmanian Manufacturing Award and has had a really diverse engineering career, which we're going to hear more about today. That sounds awesome. Congratulations, Sabrina. Thank you. So welcome, Sabrina. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about the type of engineering work you do and what inspired you to become an engineer? Okay, currently I do, actually it's all sorts of engineering work. I am a mechanical design engineer, but I also do programming. I also assist in manufacturing engineer as someone on the WHS committee, but also quality insurance and environmental officer. Do you know what inspired me to be an engineer is because it's what I saw all around me. My older brother, older sister were engineering students and my dad was an engineer, so it was actually always in my blood to do it. I did experiment and think about other things, but when I started uni and I met the students in engineering, I thought, oh, these are definitely my people. Hmm. I love that when you find your people and you have that moment, you're like, I'm where I need to be. Yay, that's (laughs) That's so exciting. That's exactly what it was. Sounds quite diverse so far in all those different types of engineering that you do and also the environmental side and things like that. How do you go about having so many different hats um, is it because you enjoy quite a diverse range of things or is there a part you enjoy most that you gravitate towards um, for someone with a PhD I have I have got I say a lot of breath actually and all what I've described before was just from one of my jobs which is Lightning Protection International I'm also a lecturer at UTAS and yeah I've I guess, I don't know if it's a problem, but everything I do when I'm doing it, I think it's the most interesting thing in the world. And then I go to the next thing, I'm like, oh no, wait, this is the most interesting thing in the world. And I've always just kept doing that. And actually to add some to it, when I started with Lightning Protection International, I was originally hired in as a programmer. So I actually thought, oh, maybe maybe I'll escape or, or get out of engineering. And I thought, oh no, I'm always pulled right back in. That's so interesting. I think probably speaks a lot to the breadth of interest that a lot of people in our 
show tend to have, which is why we enjoy interviewing so many different people. Um, so is there an area that you tend to enjoy most in your job or is it just that general basics of engineering of coming like problem solving and looking at processes um look i i do like it all but the type of work i actually really like both extremes and i currently get to do both of that because sometimes i'll have a day when i'm perhaps working from home and i will do about four hours straight of programming and i can get really really deep into my mind and just get this get to this place where I can think so purely without any distractions. But then I also like the other extreme. If I walk through the manufacturing shop floor, especially if I haven't been there in a day or so, I am constantly stopping and asking questions and answering questions, and I can't even plan for the next 10 minutes because something always comes up. So, yeah. That sounds awesome and really varied. And I love the like variation that you can have day to day in your career. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your award from last year? Oh, yes. I mean, first of all, that is, I think, the most fantastic award title I will ever get. Exceptional woman. I mean, full stop, please. That's great. So it's, um, I believe it was an award that um, TMEC organized. I believe that's a Tasmanian, um, is it Mining or Manufacturing and Energy Council? I'll have to check that. But um, so th- they do a whole series of awards, or one awards night, but with a whole different range of awards for different, um, for, for women in different areas. And some of them, some of the stories from there, from from that ceremony, were fantastic because a lot of the other women showcased were um, people that had come up from admin roles or HR roles, and then two years later find themselves. Uh, driving heavy machinery or something like that. So th- that was actually fantastic. And the one I won, and the uh, the category I won was Exceptional Woman in Tasmanian Manufacturing. And yeah, so there was other categories there, like uh, in resources, etc. But that was fantastic. And that actually then tears up to the National Aw- Women in Industry Awards. That was actually just two nights ago, a gala event in Melbourne. And I went there. I didn't win anything, but that was actually so inspiring to be there. And the person who actually won her category, but then won the broad category of Woman of the Year was Bronwyn Evans, CEO of Engineers Australia. So that was fantastic to see. Yeah, wow, that sounds awesome. It's great to have so much recognition for the roles of women in these like typically non-female dominated areas, like in manufacturing and things like that. It's really great that there are awards specifically to recognize the really important contribution that women are making, but also what you were talking about there of that role model aspect of like when you see all these other exceptional women and the types of things that they've gone from admin to um, driving heavy goods vehicles and things like that. It's really kind of smashes some of those stereotypes for sure. Yeah, it was fantastic. One of the best things about the national award ceremony a couple of nights ago was that we have all the way from, uh, you know, Dr. Evans, who's the CEO of Engineers Australia, to, you know, me in the middle. And then there was a, um, a woman there who had been nominated for something. And I remember teaching her 10 or 11 years ago at UTAS. So that was great to see the whole full line of things. Yeah, to see everything come whole circle. That's really yeah. awesome. Listeners, you're listening. That's what I call science. And today we're talking to Sabrina Sakara and Dr. Sarah Lydon because it's engineering. My name's Neve Chapman. Stick with us. And we'll be talking more to Sabrina in part two.
You're listening to That's What I Call Science and today we are talking about mechanical engineering and manufacturing uh, with our expert guest, Dr. Sabrina Sequeira. My name is Sarah Lydon and I'm joined by Neve Chapman. So in this next segment, segment, Sabrina, we want to go into a little bit more detail in some of your previous work. So I understand that you've done some pretty interesting work on thermodynamic performance of engines that you might be able to share with us today. Yeah, sure. That was my first full-time job out of uni. So I started that in 1997 with the General Electric Company in the US. So that was GE, uh, that, that was called GE Aircraft Engines at the time, and now that's GE Aviation. So I started on a graduate program there where I did um, six-month rotations to see various sides of the business, all within engineering and manufacturing. And then after the two years, the um, the group I s- stuck with was just called performance. And yeah, I dealt with the thermodynamic performance of aircraft carrier-based jet engines and specifically fine-tuning the control system to get peak performance while also avoiding, say, bad situations like the engine stalling or the engine flaming out. For our listeners, could you kind of explain what the thermodynamic performance of an engine is? Yes, I thought that might be the next question. Okay, it's, I mean, a lot of people drive cars, um, petrol engine cars, and what you want to do there is get, say, the most miles or mileage or kilometers out of your certain amount of fuel. And we do the same thing with aircraft engines. You're always trying to lower the specific fuel consumption, which is how much fuel it takes for the aircraft to go a certain distance. And so there are very many things that go into that. When you're cruising along, say, at a steady at steady state, it's much easier to control. But in an aircraft engine, I mean, there's something like 2,000 parts, many of which are moving, and it takes a whole lot of analysis to really fine-tune how to move things at such a way to still achieve that, say, highest performance you can get. We've got to be careful that we don't move things too quickly because you've got different metals, different materials and different shapes of metals interacting with each other. And if and they're, they're moving really closely to, with one another. And, for example, if one bit cools down while the other one doesn't because of expansion, things can come to a grinding halt. And that's one example of something that can go wrong. Sounds really interesting. So is that work then, so trying to improve the thermodynamic performance of engines, is that then related to sort of the fact that aircraft are able to travel a lot longer distances now and they keep announcing sort of extended distances that aircraft can travel? Okay, so I'm not so much sure of that because a lot of that has to do on the aircraft side itself. I mean, you could... um, I was always dealing dealing with single or dual engine aircraft, and I was always dealing with military, um, whereas, uh, you know, a lot of commercial planes would have, say, four engines now on it, and they're always cutting costs in different ways. So I'm not sure of that side. Could I ask, um, Sabrina, in what way do you look at those um, problems? So you, you said there that there's lots of different variables or considerations like the different mechanical parts and what how hot they get and how much they move or expand are you looking at that mostly in like a way the way you're using maths and sitting down and modeling things and then do you test it in any way or is it really just an equation on a computer and trying to figure out the realms of possibility 
Okay, first of all, I was one of a team of about 2,000 engineers working on this. So what I talked about before with the, um, say, the heat transfer through met different metals, there was a whole group working on that. There was a whole group working on different aspects. And really, the, the one value that they, um, or maybe two, two values of interest that they gave to me was the rotational speed of the engine and temperature. So I then had a mathematical model where I could vary many things at once, always paying attention to the limits of speed or temperature that the other groups gave me. So it all started with this um, giant physics-based mathematical model, and I had everybody's limits in mind, and I tweaked things in ways where I could get just up to everybody's limits but not surpass them. That sounds very interesting. And also, like, it would, uh, do you enjoy puzzles? Because it kind of sounds like it's a puzzle where you're trying to get all the pieces to fit together just yep. the right way. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And then, I guess, to the second part of your question, it, it all starts off with the physical, you know, computer-based model. And then we go to different stages of testing. So then we would um, test it or go to testing different components in their respective rigs. But then a whole engine gets built, and then that will be on test for perhaps a couple of months in different groups testing their areas of interest, me testing my area of interest. And then if it passes all of that, then it goes to flight test. So I was dealing with Navy engineers, uh, sorry, Navy pilots, specifically the flight test pilots, and then we would have them test things that we could only test in flight. So... In terms of some of like the engineering principles and practices that you've sort of talked about there, so a lot of modelling and then experimental testing and sort of validation, is that kind of a, a common theme that you've had throughout your career with the projects you've worked on? Um, so, so do you mean if it's the whole concept of, say, applying theory and then getting more practical in stages? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Because I would start with um, basic thermodynamics thermodynamics and really fluid mechanics as well. So people would tell me different temperatures and pressures and I would just have to um, calculate or make my best guess of what my pressures and temperatures of interest would be. And then I got to more, um, more detailed projections with the mathematical model. And then, yeah, going to different levels of testing all the way to the flight test. And you can imagine that every step, you want to catch your errors as early as possible because the longer you go with errors propagating the more expensive and complex it gets to fix. Is there a particular part of that that process that you enjoy the most or is it all really really interesting? Yeah to, to me it is all interesting but I like the early stages of development where we're um you know, we get to the engine test and realize perhaps things aren't at what we thought, but then we have this very expensive piece of machinery costing, costing us money with every time delay, and then we have to go absolutely mad with analysis and get our best estimate to test the next day. And, and that, that excitement of it all was probably my favorite part. Sounds pretty thrilling with uh, and also very full on <laughs> during that period where you probably spent months of work with all your calculations, then you get your test piece of equipment, and then it's like round the clock, really yes. intense, everybody's fueled on coffee and adrenaline. That's exactly what it is. 
and you've pegged it just right that that's exactly what it is whereas people who maybe don't pay as much attention would be very thrilled say with the flight test aspect of that however there is so um there's so much on the line when you have a live a pilot flying something so for me to be able to test anything i would you know have to plan it a week in advance give it to somebody else to check let it go for a few days to clear my mind of it and then check it again because we want to check everything before we suddenly change the way the engine works while the pilot's flying it. So that was actually far more controlled, even though it sounds more exciting. Yeah, that's so interesting. It sounds like there's so many variables at play there. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. Stick with us for part three and we'll be talking more to our guest, Sabrina. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we are talking about mechanical engineering and manufacturing. My name is Sarah Lydon, and I'm joined by Neve Chapman, along with our expert guest, Sabrina Seguera. So, Sabrina, you've mentioned that throughout your career, manufacturing's been a really big part of it. It's been something that you've kept coming back to, so you've done it in some of your initial work, you've, you're working in that industry now. Um, could you tell us what attracts you to the manufacturing industry? Oh, yeah. Again, it's that constant excitement you show up for the day when you're in my role anyway you show up for the day and you have no idea what's going to come next and it's always it always keeps you on your toes it's always exciting it's always new and so what do you see of what do you see as the role of the manufacturing industry in Tasmania and Australia moving forward like is there much manufacturing industry is it something that's developing a lot more uh, there are so many small niche manufacturers in Tassie that um, really punch above their weight. There's a whole there's a whole booklet that um, I believe it's uh, the Tasmanian Defence Industry puts out about how Tasmanian businesses are contributing to Australia's um, defence industry, and it is so mind-boggling how many small. Um, small businesses come out of Tassie that are really doing so much. So many niche manufacturers here and there. And so you currently work for Lightning Protection International. What kind of work do they do? Okay, so um, now remember, I'm not an electrical engineer, so give me some grace, please, with my answer. Um, so it's lightning protection, or, um, data, you know, power line protection, and earthing protection. So um designing, building, and installing, commissioning those systems. So um, it would be power systems across Australia, so power systems across Tasmania, but also Australia and a lot of Southeast Asia that has our products or services, actually. And so that work then would involve many different kinds of engineers. So you as a mechanical engineer, other electrical engineers, quite a diverse team? Yes, a physicist and um, electronics engineer as well. And then our manufacturing staff is really all skilled labor. We've got uh, machinists and electricians and yeah, highly skilled technical officers as well. And so all of the product is made here in Tasmania? A lot. Uh, a, a lot of it is, yes. Yeah. Um, down in Huntingfield, so just outside of Kingston in the industrial park there near the fork in the road. Yeah, um, That's really interesting. So... One of the other topics that we quite often like to ask our guests about is about sustainability in particular. 
as you know, we now have a World Engineering Day for Sustainable Development and engineers are very well placed to contribute to the achievement of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. What do you sort of see as the role of sustainability in the manufacturing industry in Australia and also abroad and sort of how is that industry able to contribute to achieving sustainability objectives? Oh, okay. Well, f- first of all, work on a pro- work on something and do work on a meaningful product. So the lightning protection systems that we design and build actually go to save massive amounts of assets. So if we were manufacturing um, some, say, plastic or maybe something more wasteful piece of junk, that's already that's already something, say, so bad. And just even doing what I do, I feel good about contributing to sustainability. Then at the everyday level in manufacturing, it's things like using recycle, recycled plastic when possible. We do injection molding. Um, make sure you're stamping that resin identifier code in there, you know, with the number two or number four in the triangles. So you're considering the end of life. What's going to happen to your product? Is it easier for someone to take apart and, and then, you know, crush it back down, use it again? So it's a whole of, you've got to think about the whole of life of your product, but even take that step back and think, what is your product anyway? And is it worthwhile to, to, to make that? I think that's really interesting, but could we talk a little bit more about um, how, you know, manufacturing has come such a long way in the past hundred years, let's say, and it's continually being refined. How much of that refinement process have you noticed like any shift or any fundamental adoption of like considering what is our product? Are we making it in the most sustainable way possible? How can we further refine it so that we're using more sustainable materials or a more sustainable process? Do you think like sector wide that's front of mind or are there like leading champions in that area? Look, I don't know really what's outside of of the small area I work in. I know that um, even just the packaging is, is, a, is a large deal. I, I have seen a shift from um, people using new plastic packaging to using their uh, crumpled up cardboard I- instead of polystyrene packaging. And maybe what I haven't seen is actually less of that LDPE, the polyethylene clear plastic wrap on things. And I think that's a way, um, I think that's the next frontier really is, is the... Um, getting rid of the plastic in the packaging, but say in the manufacturing itself, we've at least had a shift of bringing in some manufacturing processes from overseas or from far away back to Tasmania. And so that's now a reduction in the shipping costs or the, the, the shipping energy cost that also actually has a secondary use of, you know, eliminating use of plastic. It's important though that a lot of the cost savings that people are driving and people are chasing actually are also the environmental savings so in that case of bringing some manufacturing work back in-house we've actually saved on costs saved and and lessened the impact to the energy so it it actually really is all tied together yeah that's awesome and it's good to know that it all kind of fits within one complementary piece So shifting gears a little bit now, um, one of the other things that you've told us about your current position is that you're very involved on the Work Health and Safety Committee. So I thought it might be interesting if we can just dive a little bit deeper into that and just talk about some of the challenges you might face in doing that, but also how you've seen 
work health and safety practices maybe change over your career and how that might have influenced the engineering profession? Ah, right. So that that's actually really important to bring into the um, manufacturing because that is actually whether or not people realize it that's that's their that's at the forefront of everyone's mind is to go to work and not only be safe but to be healthy and think about your whole well-being and one of your questions there was how has it shifted um you know back 20 25 years ago it used to be about just you know going to work and not getting a limb cut off. Now you go to work and there's a whole focus on your whole well-being. So much of a shift towards acknowledging and being proactive with people's mental health as well. And um, uh, not, I, I guess, I guess moving away from just being or having concern about injury, but to make sure people are just moving enough in their day. Are people interacting enough, especially now that, that there's masks and, and uh, physical distancing happening. So that's been the big shift. And say the biggest challenge for me is to pull myself out of my engineering brain and really focus on the human aspect of it. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I, it's a really important point that you make that I think workplaces as a whole are shifting to this more well-being focus of their employees rather than just like can they do their job safely like how well are they feeling overall and I think um, some of that relates to you know them being a a productive individual but do you see that as part of a committee um, within your organization that the types of work health safety things that you discuss are focused more on holistic things rather than reporting and health and safety incidents for example yes there's there's definitely been a shift in that direction and um i i think a very valid shift i mean also when you have a manufacturing organization you you must you must pay attention to the the physical safety of course first and foremost but that's almost sort of the low-hanging fruit and and then you move on to really you know refining people's well-being yeah, that's awesome. And I think it's a really great point to end the show on that, you know, all of us can be looking at the more human aspects of like, how do we support people to be their best, safest individuals in any workplace setting really is an important thing, no matter what type of setting that might be. Thanks for listening, folks. It's been a fun time discussing engineering with you on That's What I Call Science. We love bringing you content and hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please remember you can find all of our previous engineering episodes on our website, that's science.org. Just go to the tab and uh, if there's a search function, you can type in Sarah's name and all of those engineering episodes will appear. Until next time, I'd like to thank my co-host, Dr. Sarah Lydon, our expert guest, Sabrina, and uh, my name's Neve. Thanks and goodbye. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.